Well, a good afternoon to everyone here at the uh, 2.30 service. And um, as, of course, we're coming together to finalize on our last topic of the series, on the topic of offense. And also, congratulations to all those who are being baptized. Give it up for them today. Congratulations and well done. And we're going to be getting to that part of the service uh, soon enough. Um, for those that have been uh, a part of our uh, series, how many of you have been a part of the series? Just put your hand up if you've been here for the last few weeks. Okay. Gives us a healthy idea of how many have been here for the series. But um, for those who have been here and have had the opportunity to hear what has been preached, we've had various uh, people speaking on this topic. We really hope that it has been a topic that has ministered to your heart. And it has been something that God has, you know, bringing you into a, a place of freedom. And of course, the, the, the topic of offense is such a huge topic uh, today, especially even in church life. And we really pray that God is doing a work of change just in these last few weeks. God wants us to be made whole. Amen. He wants us to be spiritually whole, wants us to be emotionally whole. And um, he wants us to experience life. How many want to experience life? Amen. Jesus said himself, didn't he? He said, I want you, I've come to bring you life and to have life to the, to the full. Jesus wants to bring us life. And that involves, of course, us maintaining that. Maintaining a healthy heart. Maintaining a, a healthy spirit. One person once said that uh, the heart is, is, is a garden. It's like a garden. A garden that needs constant weeding and feeding. Weeding out those issues of offenses in our life, unforgiveness and, and resentment and hurts, and, and also, though, feeding it with the Word of God and the Spirit. Our heart is like a garden. Now, over the course of this series, we have approached the, the topic of offense from, from different angles. We've looked at, right from day one, we've looked at the question, uh, Gabriel was asking the question, are you offended? Other questions that uh, we, topics that we were looking at were, how do I know if I'm offended, especially if it's a blind spot? Other things we looked at are, how do I avoid uh, the pitfalls of offense? And I'm very aware, of course, that we, we are dealing with a, a huge topic. One of the books that has been used to, to shape this whole series is a book called The Bait of Satan. Maybe you've heard of it before. It's written uh, by uh, a pastor and author, John Bevere. And he talks about how uh, many children of God have been taken out of the race because of the issue of offense, the root of offense. And so we must address this issue as not just a human problem, but also an issue uh, that is a strategy of the devil. The bait of Satan. If we were to be like a fly on the wall at halftime in the devil's locker room with all of his demons and He's talking with them. We would probably hear all kinds of different strategies that the devil has to wipe the body of Christ out. To make them ineffective, to make them powerless in their life on earth. And one of these, of course, is the bait of, sat of, the bait of Satan, the bait of offense. And people are falling for the bait of Satan all the time. I used to do a little bit of a fishing when I was, when I was younger, wasn't too great at it, but I remember, of course, getting the bait out, and you put that at the end of the line to try and lure the fish in. But just like a fisherman uses bait to lure fish in, Satan loves to use offense to divide brothers and sisters, to divide families, 
to divide work colleagues, friends, leaders. He loves to bring division. He loves to bring disunity. Sometimes I think the devil knows how powerful unity is. The church doesn't. The devil knows how powerful unity is. And that's why he tries his utmost to destroy unity. How many know that a powerful church is a united church? A united church is a powerful and blessed church. And that's why the devil gives it, it, it all of his time to try and dis, uh, to trying to bring division and disunity in the church. And so we've been learning about how we are supposed to deal with our own offenses and how we can learn to avoid offense. But today we're going a step further. We're going a step further. Tell the person next to you we're going a step further today. That was just so I can get a drink of water there. We're going a step further to help someone else with their offenses. In other words, God wants to heal us up so that we can be agents of healing in other people's lives. Amen? God wants to heal us up emotionally, spiritually. And in a short while, we're going to look practically at how Jesus skillfully uh, helped people who were upset, who were offended, who were angry. Uh, with others. And why are we going to do that? So that we can actually learn how to do the stuff that Jesus did. How many want to do that stuff? Amen. We want to be effective like Jesus was. But first, I just want to share just a few minutes on the power of forgiveness in the context of helping others. And I really hope that this will really minister to your heart and do a work in you this afternoon. If you've ever been hurt or, or wronged, by someone, you will know that offense is tough. How many of you put your hand up to that? Got some, okay, the rest of you, not so. <laughs> you will know that offense is tough. Forgiveness in the Christian life even is hard. But as far as God is concerned, it is vitally important. Forgiveness is vitally important. We actually see this in Matthew 5 where, where Jesus teaches the people how to pray. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, you know, how can the Father forgive you of your sins if you will not forgive others their sins? And so what's one factor that makes me want to forgive others? Well, I'm commanded to. That's a good start, isn't it? We're commanded to forgive others. As a Christian, as a child of God, I must forgive, even if it seems unfair. We may hear all kinds of, of excuses when it comes to, to people um, choosing to cover up their offenses. For example, we might pe hear people say, well, they need to learn a lesson. Heard of that before? Or I don't want to encourage irresponsible behavior. Or I was the wrong party. Or it's not up to me to make the first move. Or how can I forgive if they're not even sorry? Anybody wrestled with that one before? Okay, the rest of you are lying. Okay, no, just kidding. <laughs> but you see, when someone wrongs you or damages perhaps your, your reputation, a debt, in other words, is established that has to be paid. You feel like that person owes you. They've got to pay for that wrong that they, they did to you. And sure enough, you can make that person pay. How many know you can make that person pay? You can make them, uh, them pay. You could perhaps try to, to destroy their reputation. You could perhaps maybe make them suffer. 
But the problem is, is when you make them suffer for what they did to you. In other words, you, you seek revenge. In other words, you, you try to, to treat wrong for wrong. You become like them. And what happens, evil wins. But the alternative, of course, we know is to forgive. And when you forgive, you're not trying to get your reputation back by, of course, destroying someone else's. But we, of course, all will probably know that forgiveness is not easy, especially when people want to harbor revengeful thoughts and ideas towards people. And, you know, Jesus taught a fantastic parable, very unique parable in the Gospels about the parable of an unmerciful servant. You don't have to go there. We'll just look at it quickly in a nutshell. But what happened was this. Uh, a, A servant had a mountain, a huge amount of debt that was canceled. Uh, Scholars have looked at this and have actually said that perhaps this was actually the equivalent today of well over a million pounds. I mean, that's a lot of money. And so this guy was pretty chuffed that, of course, he had this whole debt removed. It was completely canceled. It was an amount that in his whole lifetime he would have not been able to pay back. And so he was shown mercy. The whole debt was canceled. However, when he is faced, the same person who has been forgiven or shown such mercy, when he is faced with the opportunity to cancel a debt that was owed to him for what was only the equivalent today of only about 4,000 pounds, he would not let go or show mercy. Jesus is showing the contrast between someone who was a merciful servant and someone who was not. You see, in the Christian life, the problem with this unmerciful attitude and the unforgiving attitude is we so easily forget the wrongs and the offenses that we did to God. We so easily forget divine forgiveness. And it leads to this inability to show human forgiveness. If we are going to be of any help to people in ministering to others, we must know something about divine forgiveness. If we're going to try and help someone get over their offenses... And, and, and trying to forgive, we must make sure they know something about divine forgiveness. Amen? They must know the impact that divine forgiveness has. How can we expect someone to be able to show human forgiveness if they have not actually got a revelation of divine forgiveness? And so what is divine forgiveness? Well, I'm glad you asked. I wonder if we have ever considered how hard forgiveness was for God. In a book called The Art of Forgiving, Lewis Smedes, The Art of Forgiving, Lewis Smedes, makes this observation that the Bible shows God going through like progressive stages when he forgives, much like us humans do. And so in other words, God sought to reach humanity who had wronged him. And what happened was, is that God surrendered his right to get even with humanity. Somehow God had to come to terms with us humans, us humans who he so desperately wanted to love. And the only way God's forgiveness was made possible was because of what happened when God came to earth in Christ. To reach sinful humanity. God the Father and God the Son, they were working together, of course, to seal our salvation. And so forgiveness was not something that was easy for God. If anybody has the notion that forgiveness was easy for God, we've got the complete wrong end of the stick. 
Forgiveness was hard for God. It cost him everything he had. It cost him his one and only son. Jesus said as he is about to go to the cross for for our offenses, for our sins, he said this. He said, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. The word cup is a metaphor for wrath. May this cup be taken from me. In other words, if there is any way, Father, to rescue humanity, if there is any other way that humanity can be rescued, then let this cup be taken from me. Jesus was contemplating the, the great cost. And the sweat rolled off of him like drops of blood. But he said, if this is the only way, Father, your will be done. I'll go through with it to save humanity. Jesus then says at the cross, when he has been faced, you know, he's, he's been crucified for our offenses. When he is facing uh, death, when he is facing great suffering and pain, he says, forgive them. In fact, forgive them all. Forgive those who are nailing those, those nails into my body. On the cross. Forgive the religious leaders. Forgive the the disciples who had fled. Forgive you and I, for they do not know what they are doing. Each one of us, of course, has broken God's commands. Each one of us has broken His laws. We should have been on trial for our offenses. We deserved eternal punishment. We were found guilty and we were condemned to death. But God forgave us our offenses. Amen? He forgave us our offenses and our sins. God pronounced the guilty. That's us, innocent. He paid the debts, the the price, the penalty that we could not pay ourselves. God made peace with humanity through offering his son, Jesus Christ, for our sin. In other words, Christ took the judgment. He took the wrath. He served the justice of God and humanity received mercy. That's the power of the gospel. And so God gave up his own son instead of giving up on humanity. How many know that's good news? And so it's only when you actually start to to really realize the seriousness of sin and the punishment that we deserve that you start to get a hold of how powerful forgiveness is. And so in view of what Christ has done for me, what Christ has done for you and us, How can I not show mercy towards my brother or sister? If I have been shown mercy, I must show mercy. If I have been forgiven much, I must forgive much. In the New Testament, the word forgiveness, um, interestingly, means this. It means to release. It means to hurl away, uh, to free yourself, which is quite interesting. We'll look at that in a moment. And so what does this have to do with helping someone else? When someone forgives someone, when someone forgives someone else, a barrier is broken down between them. Real forgiveness is much more than not getting revenge against someone for something that they did. Real forgiveness starts when there is a change of heart attitude towards someone. When there's a change of heart attitude, and might, that might start, of course, with our, our thoughts. And R.T. Kendall, in Total Forgiveness, talks about how that, that, that there's a process. Sometimes it starts with our thoughts towards that person. And then eventually it might show towards actions. And then there might be a, a, a restoration, a reconciliation. You see, before forgiveness, there was resentment. There was anger, mistrust, dislike. There was hurt. There was revenge. But after forgiveness these things start to fade away. 
And this is, I'm just giving you a little bit of some, some background here and some foundations for us to understand how we're to help someone else. This is so important to understand if we're going to effectively minister towards others. Because in the world that we live, a lot of the hurt, a lot of the pain that we see between families, between communities, and even between, of course, church members are because of the lack of forgiveness, the lack of grace. People say, forgive them. They don't deserve it. Even if they're a Christian, they don't deserve it. And they hold on to that pain and they, pay, they, they go sometimes on for years and years and years, not being able to forgive, not being able to let go of the past. And this is how resentment builds up. Interestingly, the word resentment it expresses what happens if the cycle of offense goes on and on uninterrupted. That's what resentment means. It means literally to feel again. Resentment, in other words, clings to the past. It, it relives it over and over and over. And it's like a wound on the body. It's like a fresh scab that, so that the wound actually never heals. But in relationships, forgiveness offers a way out. Amen? It does not necessarily settle all the questions to do with blame and, uh, and fairness. But it might allow a friendship or a relationship to start all over again. How many know that's good news? It pays the way for reconciliation. Forgiveness can stop this cycle of blame and pain. Breaking the cycle of ungrace. And you know what? I don't need to tell you that we live in a world that is full of ungrace. We're so wonderfully privileged here at KT to be able to hear about the grace of God so much. But we must realize that we live in a world that is full of ungrace. And that's why it's so important that we have a real revelation of the grace of God so that we can actually take it out to the places that need to hear the grace of God. In our workplace, college, university. And so in relationships, forgiveness offers a way out. It pays a way for reconciliation. And this can be so important sometimes in family generations where there are roots of offense that have gone on for, for you know, generations after generation after generation. Why? Because of this constant cycle of blame culture, of unfairness, and not one person has stood up at the plate and chose to forgive. Forgiveness stops the cycle of blame and pain. And so what happens when someone chooses not to forgive, it imprisons them in the past. But when we forgive, we also forgive for ourselves. The only person to be healed by, by forgiveness is the person who does the forgiveness. One person once said that to forgive someone else is to set a prisoner free and to actually realize that the prisoner was you. Forgiveness goes against what everyone thinks Naturally, because if someone has wronged you, there is a feeling that some kind of price has to be paid. But grace, forgiveness is, is supernatural. It goes against man's natural instinct to try and repay wrong for wrong. I heard a story about someone called Reginald Denny. Reginald Denny was a, was a truck driver who was assaulted during some riots in in South Central Los Angeles a number of years ago. And um, here's his story. And what happened was the whole country watched this helicopter video of two men smashing his truck window with a brick. 
They pulled him out of the cab and started beating him with a broken bottle and kicked him in until the side of his face actually caved in. In court, later on, his tormentors were completely unrepentant, not yielding at all, not sorry. And with worldwide media looking on, Reginald Denny, his face that was still swollen, shook off the protests of his lawyers, made his way over to the mothers of the two defendants, hugged them and told them he forgave them. Forgiveness breaks the cycle of unforgiveness. It's undeserved. It's, it's unearned. And so when you forgive, you break the hold of offense. You break the hold of Satan's grip over your life. And that means you're free. Amen? You're free from the grip. There's power in forgiveness. Now I want to get a little bit more uh, practical with this just for the next uh, 10 minutes or so. Because it's one thing, you know, learning about how powerful forgiveness is and how we're supposed to help someone. But it's sometimes good look in the Gospels and see how Jesus actually modeled it himself. Jesus was the, the master of how to minister to people. And, and for myself, I get a lot of inspiration and challenge of how Jesus, you know, how he ministered to people. He's a supreme example of who we look to. He was the master of knowing how human behavior works as well. He is the chief shepherd, the pastor, who represents, you know, the heart of God. And so in the Gospels, Jesus came alongside to help people. And uh, he responded to people who complained to him about being abused, being mistreated. Uh, he responded to people who were neglected or perhaps taken advantage of. And today, Jesus, of course, has shown us ways of how we can do this ourselves. And the good news is, is that we can be those who bring healing to other people. Amen? A reference point for that, if you want to take it down, is 1 Peter 5, 1-4. You can look at that at another time. And so this involves, of course, we, if we're going to be effective in helping other people, we need to have the heart of Jesus. How many know that's important? We must have that pulsating within us. There's no point trying to offer people help if the heart of Jesus is not actually flowing through us. Every one of us are called to look out for our brothers and sisters. Every one of us must regard it as important to see our brother and sister made whole. To see their souls freed up. This is what Jesus did. And so Jesus is seen throughout the Gospels. He's looking after huge crowds. He's uh, you know, ministering to them. He's looking after small groups, even with his disciples. And he had all kinds of drama taking place with them throughout the Gospels. Also, of course, he was ministering to individuals. And this was just daily uh, during the drama of Jesus' life of, as he was going from one place to another. He was helping people with their needs. And so Jesus' ministry was largely discipleship. He was discipling people of how to live. Not only how to live, but how to think. How to handle their emotions. And interestingly, Jesus never wrote anybody off. Amen. He always placed great value on one individual. He never wrote them off. And so it's important when we're approaching someone who's battling with offense and battling with unforgiveness that we never look down on them. Just because they're having problems. Thank God for those people that reached out to us. Amen. When we were going through a tough time and we were kind of like in the pit and they helped us get back on our feet again. They helped us with our conflicts, helped us with our wrong emotions and all the different things that we were struggling with. 
Thank God that He doesn't look down on us when we go through tough times. And so we're going to look at a couple of passages. I want to go through just a, a couple of them just quickly to just discover how, uh, what practical uh, kind of things that we can take on from Jesus of how He ministered to people. Come with me quickly to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Here we go. Now it happened as they went. That he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha, says, was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. So the story goes, as we can read on, we see how Jesus has come to town. And Mary has been waiting for him to come, of course, so she can, you know, she can drink from his well. She can learn from all these different eternal truths, and she can learn from Jesus. But it says that Martha is distracted from that because so many things, of course, needed to be done. So she comes to Jesus. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself Tell her to help me. I mean, she's saying this to Jesus. Tell her to help me. Now, from this, we can see a, a few things. I just want to go through a few things. You might want to write them down. Firstly, the presenting problem is not always the main problem. The presenting problem that we see here on the surface level is not always the real problem. Martha was, of course, experiencing real emotional pain. We can see that she's going through a tough time. She was hurting inside. And the problem that she presents to Jesus is that Mary is the cause of a problem. Now, as believers who are seeking to help other people, other brothers and sisters, we must learn to recognize underneath what the real problems are. Amen? And so here are some examples of maybe what the typical Christian might say today to, to, to Martha's complaint. Oh, poor Martha, I can't believe that Mary has done that to you. Secondly, oh yes, I would be upset too if she did that to me. Thirdly, well, I will go tell her to get in here and to help you. And lastly, maybe they would get Mary, mad at Mary too and complain to others like Mary did. But how many know that's not the biblical example that we're given? This is not the solution that Jesus brings. Martha's solution is for Jesus to do something for her that will remove all the misery that she's in. Namely, tell her to help me. That is the solution to my problem. Mary must do something for me. Notice the language. Hear the language. She owes me. But what happens? Jesus courageously confronts the real problem and offers a solution, as you see in verses 41 to 42. In other words, Jesus tells Martha that she was the cause of a problem. Though she thought, of course, Mary was. Jesus tells Martha that she's feeling this way because her life is not focused on the most important things. 
things that Mary has chosen for her life. And he says, Martha, Martha, he says in the scripture there, you are worried and upset about so many things, but only one thing is needful. Mary has chosen what is better, and I will not take it away from her. And so as believers, we must be, firstly, courageous enough to confront, lovingly confront the real issues in our brothers' and sisters' lives if we want to see them be, you know, being brought back into their focus on Christ. Really important lesson for us to, in terms of helping others. And sometimes this might actually be interpreted as being harsh or unloving. Martha was hurting inside because she was thinking wrongly. And Jesus loved her enough to tell her the real situation. Also, did you notice also from this passage that Jesus did not allow this close friendship with Martha to affect his primary loyalty to his heavenly father? Jesus stood for what was right before his heavenly father. He wasn't blinded by this relationship that he had with Martha. Come with me quickly now to, to Luke 12. We're going to look at another example. Luke 12 verse 13. Luke 12, verse 13 to 15. Okay, just a few verses. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he Possesses. Okay, so how you now have another scenario. This is Jesus' response to a request for help in settling a dispute between brothers. How many know that in family life you can have disputes with brothers and sisters? Okay, maybe we need a spirit of truth to come into this place. No, maybe it was just me. But anyway, Jesus is trying to, to, re to respond to a request in settling a dispute between family members. Now, you might notice that as you look at this, that these two passages that we've looked at, both in Mary and Martha, and of course this one with the, with the brothers, they, are, they have something in common. Firstly, both passages involve complaints to Jesus and dissatisfaction about other people. Notice that? Secondly, both passages, they present to us people who, who think that someone else is the cause of their misery. And if that person, of course, changes their behavior, and uh, it will make them happy, and their life will not be so miserable. And so both passages present to us a similar kind of uh, situation. And this is what I've noticed sometimes in pastoring over, over the years as well, is that many challenges will involve situations where the people that we're helping think that their problems in life are due to another person. And if that person will just make those changes in their life, they will become happy and all their problems in life will be solved. But the real issue that we need to address when it comes to the root of offense is that, with the, is that the offended, offended person has lost their focus on Christ. This was a situation with Martha. Martha. When someone is offended, often they have taken their focus off of Jesus. And it affects their worship life, it affects their prayer life, it affects our own relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what else do we learn from Luke 12, 13, 15 that we've just read? Jesus does not accept the request for help, if you notice there. The business between the man and his brother was not really Jesus' call in life. 
Many times, in other words, people will come to us wanting to involve us in their offense. But they are not really interested in hearing the truth. Sometimes they are, maybe sometimes they're not. Rather, their goals sometimes in coming to us are for us to, to solve their problems. Or perhaps maybe to remove them from their problems. Or perhaps maybe to side with them even when they are wrong. And this is, of course, what we need to be wary of. Of course, when we're ministering to people, this is what we need to be careful about. Our goal is, is not to solve someone else's problems. How many know that's you got sometimes enough of your own problems to solve somebody else's? Our goal is not to solve somebody else's problems. Our goal is not to necessarily remove them from their problems or even to side with them in their problems, with their offense. Our goal is to help them in becoming obedient to Jesus Christ. Amen? Even in the midst of the problems as they are being solved. And so in the case with this man, as we see in Luke 12, who's crying out to Jesus, the problem is, on the surface level, is his brother needs to divide the inheritance with him. But to Jesus, the real problem was greed. And so Jesus lovingly, you know, he confronts the problem. Sometimes you need the gift of discernment to actually figure out what's actually going on underneath the surface of what people are saying to you, underneath the arguments and the hurts. And so what do we learn from these examples of Jesus? Jesus must be at the center of your ministry to others. We must help our brothers, help our sisters to come back into a fresh relationship with Jesus Christ. In whatever difficulty they might actually be facing. We can advise them, of course, we can assist them to, of course, walk away from their offense. But ultimately, we are to be those who point people to who? To Jesus. That's our call. Ultimately, we're just helping people to become better disciples of Jesus Christ, to follow Jesus, to walk as Jesus did, to, to follow the way of the cross, to point people to the cross. Unless, they, of course, they come to the cross, there can be no change. What happens when they come to the cross? They recognize what Jesus Christ has done for them, how Jesus Christ has forgiven them of their offenses. And once they've experienced that at the cross, only then are they able to actually show mercy to other people and show forgiveness to others. And so our goal is to point people to Jesus. We encourage uh, uh, people to obey Jesus Christ. Listen to this scripture, Colossians 1.28. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.9. We make it our goal to please him. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Of God, And then in chapter 10, verse 5, and we, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's Paul the Apostle speaking. And so what are we doing? We're pointing people to Jesus. Our goal is not necessarily to draw people to ourselves. Our goal is not necessarily to draw people to our own wisdom and our own counsel, but to God's wisdom. Amen? And God's counsel. There's a scripture in, in the New Testament, and I forget which one it is, but I just jot it down just before. And it says this wonderful phrase. It says, speak the truth in love. And I was just looking at it, I was thinking, that is packed with so much truth for us to take on board. Because for us, when we're ministering to other people, we must be speaking the truth in love. There's three different dimensions there. 
First of all, we need to speak. It's important for us, if we see a brother or sister is offended, don't stay silent. Of course, we need to pray for them, and that's important, but we must be able to approach them and speak to them. Second of all, we must bring the truth. We must speak the truth. What is the truth? It's the Word of God. When you're ministering to other people, what they don't need to hear is necessarily just your own opinions and your ideas. They need to hear the Word of God. That's what people need. And also, they need to hear it in the spirit of love. Speak the truth in love. In other words, don't do it with hate. Don't do it with another motive. Don't do it with judgment or or pointing the finger, but do it with love. And if we do speak the truth in love, we might actually see a different result in the people that we're ministering to. Amen. And so after we've done all of that, after we've really, you know, gone, we've taken Jesus' principles to help someone, We have to trust the Holy Spirit to do the convicting. We have to trust the Holy Spirit to do the the convincing, to, to, to bring the empowering for that person to actually acknowledge the offense in their life and to allow God to, to enter in. And so what's the, the, the ultimate goal? We want to see effective change in people's lives. Amen. Here at Kensington Temple, we want to people see people set free. We don't want to see people that are holding offenses from the past for years and years and years. We want to see them come into a wide and spacious place. Amen? So that people are living in an offense-free zone. How many want to live in a zone like that? All right. And so that's our ultimate goal. The end purpose is to see a change in someone's behavior. And sometimes that, of course, will show in how they speak. Always notice sometimes about how someone talks will sometimes reveal what's actually going on in their heart towards someone. We want to see a change in their emotions, in their character, in their values, in their their attitudes of how they approach life. But ultimately, of course, we want to see them walk in freedom and become an obedient follower of Jesus Christ. Someone once I heard someone once say this, that whatever we walk away from will determine what God will bring you to. Whatever we walk away from will determine what God will bring us to. God wants a whole church. God wants a church that is free. And He wants to use us to be those agents of healing. But there might be some of you here today, maybe this is the first time you're here, and you've been through some hard times. You've been through some difficult times in your life. And that might pertain to experiences in your family. might pertain to things that you've gone through with friendships and relationships. And there may be things that you've been holding on to for a long time. But i got good news for you today is that you don't have to hold on to that resentment anymore. You don't have to hold on to that unforgiveness anymore. You can be free today. You can walk out of this place beginning a a process of forgiveness in your heart. Allowing God to melt those areas in in your heart where you've never allowed God to enter in before. Because somehow in in your DNA you can't actually face it. You find it difficult to face some of the issues that you faced. Maybe it was in your childhood. 
Those things are too deep to allow God to enter in. But let me just encourage you today, friends. You can be free. You don't have to walk in the guilt and the condemnation of what you experienced when you were young. When you suffered that ill treatment through words and through maybe physical abuse, you went through tough times, you can be free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's all stand together. Just for a couple of moments, I just want to give you an opportunity for some of you here. Over the last few weeks, we've been giving people an opportunity to to come to God and ask God to really melt their hearts. And to come to a place, to encourage them to come to a place where they can let go of the things that they've been holding on to for so long. And just for a few moments, I'd just like to encourage you just in your own words, as the keys is just playing, to lift up that, that issue in your heart, that thing that you've not been able to let go of, to lift it up to the Lord today. Maybe it's the first time you've ever done this before. Just for a few moments, just present your own heart to the Lord this afternoon and say, God, I'm bringing my heart to you this afternoon. God, I'm choosing to let go of that offense, of the way that person treated me. Maybe it was at school, maybe it was at the workplace, maybe it was here, even in church life. I'm choosing to let go of that hurt, that resentment. And as you're doing that, ask the Lord to give you the grace and the ability to let that person go. Just a few more moments. afternoon. We're not withholding anything from you today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask for you to come and enter in. We ask you, Lord, where there's been hardness of heart, that you would melt our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would bring healing where there's been hardness. We pray, Lord, that there will be a season of breakthrough. From this day onwards, there will be seasons of change. A season of thinking differently. A season of speaking differently. This is a marker day for many of you. God wants to bring a change, a breakthrough in your life. To set you completely free from the past. And actually give you a joy and an excitement for the future. Amen. So God, would you do it? Would you do a breakthrough today in our hearts? Pray this in your name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.